Thanks for joining us for this week's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Orion's goal is to provide resources to not only help you in your job search, but throughout your entire military to civilian transition and beyond. One aspect of the transition that we don't often talk about is financial preparation when leaving the service. While updating your resume and preparing to interview are very important aspects of your transition, you must also assess your current finances and living goals before leaving the military. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Brian Henry, Orion Senior Vice President of Recruiting, and Doug Nordman, author of The Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement and founder of The Military Guide website. This episode will only cover part of our conversation with Doug, so make sure you tune in next week for part two. In part one, we'll cover everything from retirement options, the decision to leave active duty, recent changes in the military pension system, as well as financial myths of retirement. If you're listening to the show on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud, make sure you subscribe and share with a friend. If you have any questions about this interview or topics for a future podcast, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hi, Doug. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Megan. I'm glad to be here. I really enjoyed listening to Tom Wolf earlier. Oh, very good. Yeah, that was a good one. And we actually have part two coming out today. So I'm thinking that this one will be just as informative for our listeners. So from reading your book and looking at your website, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about today. And Brian Henry is on the line as well. Um, Brian, you want to say hello? Hi, Megan. Hi, Doug. Hey, Brian. So Brian's been on the podcast a couple of times. He's always a great resource for us. And um, I know that this is a topic that really interests him. So we will get started and um, just see where this takes us. But before we get there, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, I'm a retired uh, Navy submariner. I uh, did 20 years of active duty and retired in 2002. And my spouse was also on active duty at the same time. She's a meteorologist and oceanographer. And uh, she did uh, almost uh, 18 years of active duty and then went into the Navy reserves for a few more years before she retired. I retired in uh, 2002 at the age of 41. And we'd been in Pearl Harbor for 13 years by that point, and we knew that was where we wanted to spend the rest of our lives. It's a pretty nice home port, and it's an even better place to just live your life and have fun. When I retired in 2002, we already reached financial independence on a high savings rate. Uh, I tell people I'm not a brilliant investor. It's just that we uh, managed to cut our expenses and raise our savings rate and let the compounding take care of that for us. And after I retired, I started looking around to make sure that I hadn't made some horrible mistake. You get a lot of pushback initially when you start to reach financial independence and claim that you're going to stop working and uh, live your life and spend more time with family and have fun. Uh, We'll probably talk about some of those issues later on during a podcast. And at the time, I wanted to make sure I just hadn't overlooked something. So I started getting online with Internet forums and websites and reading more because I finally had the time to do that. Uh, Once I started researching it, I realized that this was all fine. It was all going to work great. It was all sustainable. And we started looking at the military issues of personal finance and financial independence and noticed that nobody had really ever written a book focused on the military aspects. I joined in with a bunch of people on a a website forum back in 2004. We started talking about the issues and somebody said, gee, uh, Nords, you should write a book. Uh, And just six short years later, we uh, ended up with a manuscript and sold that to a publisher. Uh, As part of putting the book together, I got the uh, input from uh, 60 other veterans and service members and families. You know, we crowdsourced the whole thing. 
And I give all my writing revenue away to military-friendly charities. That was one of the ways to inspire people to help was knowing that if they contributed to the book, then they'd get a call on which charity we gave the royalties and other writing revenue to. Uh, once I'd published the book, we started uh, the blog to market the book, of course, and uh, things just kind of took off from there. The military guide's been going strong for almost eight years now, and we take what we started with in the book and use the blog to dive into even deeper topics uh, about military personal finance or lifestyle or what do you do all day. And, and if I get a chance to tell surfing stories, well, that's good, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. I was actually going to ask you how it started and how it's evolved, but it sounds like maybe it started with the financial aspects. But um, I, I know I saw that you have a lot of guest posts and things like that. So now it seems like it really just covers a lot of broad topics. It does. And we also dig deep into some details like uh, your cost of living adjustment on your pension or exactly what do you have to do to get to 20 good years in the reserves of the National Guard, things that 95% of the people in the military might not care about, but you'd be amazed at the searches that we get on the website. Reader questions and the things that I see people searching for on the blog give me a lot of inspiration for new posts. Yeah, definitely. So, Brian, how did you um, come to hear about um, the military guide and Doug's, all of Doug's work in the book and things like that? Well, I think, I like Doug, I, I mean, I started, um, I got into financial um planning and reading just a kind of a do-it-yourself with an interest which has led to this I guess a near voracious appetite of reading just about everything <laughs> I can about financial planning and eventually I um, came and I listened to a lot of podcasts um, and I came upon one uh, called choose FI which is uh, the FI for means uh, financial independence and um, and then they have Facebook groups and uh, that are part of this community of people that are thinking about how they can become financially independent, not always to retire early, but just to be independent and have control over things. Um, and and Doug is the uh, the admin leader for the Choose FI military group, which uh, I think our audience uh, might want to take a look at. It's a great community of sharing information, people asking questions, and you get all kinds of people popping up with great advice. Um, so oh, that's, yeah. That's where I came upon uh, Doug. I also heard him on a, on another podcast as well. Uh, again, I listened to so many podcasts, and Doug was interviewed, and I thought we really need to do something here and address the financial questions with, um, you know, with our um, uh, the reach that we have out there to the military community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we, Doug, we were talking a little bit about topics that we could cover, and there's so much that we uh -huh. could speak with you about. So maybe we'll have you back to go more in depth on some of these topics because I know we'll hit on a lot of different areas today. But one of the questions that we had was regarding the military pension system, because I know that there have been some big changes recently. So we just want to know if you could give an overview of the changes and who it affects. Oh, yeah. We've been talking about this since 2016. And to be honest, uh, I think everybody's getting a little tired of talking about it. But the uh, opt-in period is still going throughout the rest of 2018. The big picture is that only one out of six people who join the military actually stick around for 20 years. One out of six. That means if you look around your squad or you look around your division, uh, wherever you are in your workplace, there's only a couple people there that are going to be lifers. And maybe you can figure out who's going to stick around for 20 years. But in general, one out of six is pretty small odds. And you might not be the special snowflake who's going to serve for 20 years. So mm -hmm. the whole idea about one out of six is that it's largely events out of your control. You'll start the military and you'll be motivated. You'll be challenged and fulfilled and you'll be having fun and you'll be learning your career and getting qualified. But 
after about five, eight, 10 years, somewhere in there, you start to change as a person and your priorities may change. You start a family, you find that the, you're interested in other things that you don't get to do anymore because you're gaining rank. Uh, maybe the environment you're working in changes. Maybe you have health problems. Maybe there's a medical crisis. Maybe you get hurt. All these things can take you out of the military far before you're ready. And then there's the whole drawdown that we watched go on for the last five years. These are all events that are not necessarily in your control. And we're all given the advice to just gut it out and stick with it and keep taking the money and go to 20. And the implication is that if you can't do 20 years in the military, then maybe you really don't have what it takes and you might even be perceived to be a slacker or a loser. But I'm here to give people permission to understand that plans change, people change, priorities change, and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to stick around for 20 years. There are alternatives. And the military guide is all about the alternatives. We talk in there about moving to the reserves of the National Guard or even just completely getting out and using all that, that human capital you have. You have all this value to a civilian corporate employer. You have a whole lot of value at starting your own business. And there's more opportunities than there ever have been before. So I try to get people to understand you don't need to stick around for 20 the biggest advantage of the new military retirement system, the blended retirement system, is that if you leave the military before 20 years, and you're probably going to leave before 20 years, you'll have some matching funds in your thrift savings plan. The Department of Defense will match up to 5% of your contributions to your thrift savings plan, and that money is yours. It's in your thrift savings plan. You can compound it there. You can grow it. And the, in exchange for taking the blended retirement system instead of the traditional high three pension that most of us have been on, you have a slightly smaller pension. It's a 40% base pay pension instead of a 50% base pay pension. It's a little more complicated than that, but that's the big picture. The whole idea is that if you take advantage of the blended retirement system, although you do get a smaller pension, you get more money in your thrift savings plan, and you also between eight and 12 years of service have a chance to sign up for what's called the continuation pay bonus. And that can be as little as two and a half months of your base pay just given to you for sticking around for another four years. And many sailors, many service members are planning to stick around for another four years anyway. The continuation pay bonus also works concurrently with other bonuses. So if that other bonus allows, you can serve out your pilot bonus obligation concurrently with the continuation pay. Maybe you went to graduate school. Maybe you got some advanced technical training that required a, a, an extension on your enlistment. All those things can be served continuously, excuse me, concurrently with the continuation pay bonus. And again, more money in your thrift savings plan, more money for you to save for your own financial independence. You don't have to depend on a 50% pension. You can do it on 40% and the money you're saving in the thrift savings plan and a continuation pay bonus will probably grow fast enough to outstrip the smaller pension and make up for the difference. And there's hundreds of calculators out there on the internet. There's the one that the Department of Defense puts out, of course, but then us bloggers have all come up with our own spreadsheets and different bits of the analysis. And we've looked at it, and I would say the worst case, if you're the person who has just short of 12 years of service as of the end of 2017, the person who is the most senior one to be able to opt into the blended retirement system. At worst, it's a revenue neutral decision. What that means is you'll get about the same money for the rest of your life, either under high three or under the blended retirement system. But with the blended retirement system, if something happens beyond your control and you don't make it to 20, then you still have the money in your thrift savings plan. You might even have the continuation pay bonus in your thrift savings plan or in your own investments. 
and you've got that flexibility. And I have learned from my 20 years and a lot of other people are learning right now that it's all about having the flexibility to choose whether or not you're going to stay for 20 years of active duty or go reserves or go guard or maybe just get out and find a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you talk about all those different decision points in your book, and I know you've got a lot of resources available on your website, too. Um, going back to that statistic that you gave about the one in six, I, that's about 17%. So, um, you know, thinking about yep. the fact that only 17% actually retire from the military, how would you suggest that someone who's early in their service approach retirement planning? Because I know there's a lot to factor in. Well, my advice would be that uh, having been one of those guys who stuck with it and gutted it out to 20 years in active duty, don't do that. What I suggest people do is take it one obligation at a time. Join the military. You've got a bunch of reasons that you joined and you're going to be challenged and you're going to find something to do there that's pretty fulfilling and start doing that. Learn your job, get a few promotions, serve your obligation. At the end of your service obligation, as you get near the end of that, then start thinking about what the next step's going to be. If you're still feeling challenged and fulfilled, then stay on active duty as long as it's there. As long as you're doing what you want to do and you find that it's feeling to you like it's worth what you're doing, keep doing it. Maybe you'll go to 20, maybe you'll go to 40, but keep doing it as long as you're challenged and fulfilled. And then when the fun stops, and I tell people, there's no doubt in your mind when the fun stops. You'll know it when you see it. If you have to ask the question, has the fun stopped yet, then maybe it hasn't. But you'll know when the fun stops. And when the fun stops, that's when you need to consider leaving active duty for the reserves or the guard. Uh, I won't pretend that either one of those services, uh, one of those options is rainbows and unicorns. But the advantage of the reserves or the guard is that you've got the, the mythical weekend a month and two weeks of summer. But you've got a different quality of life, a different pace of life. The reserves and the guard, from what I've seen, gives you more of the good things in the military, the things that you like about it, and it's a little less of the sucky part of the military. And of course, there's the what? Yeah, I hear Brian laughing back there. Uh, he understands the suck. <laughs> yeah, and and that's the uh, thing that maybe will give you the the motivation to achieve a better quality of work and life and a better balance among all the different things you're doing, and maybe that'll get you to twenty. But Again, it's just an easy way to make the transition from active duty to the next part of your life where you're going to be a total civilian, you're going to be a veteran, and maybe you'll do that through the reserves and the guards, or maybe you'll go cold turkey and just become a civilian and start a new career. And people are always worried about it, but the whole point of leaving active duty is that you're going to have to leave someday. And it might not be before 20, you might stick around for a pension, but it could be before 20 and everything's going to work out okay. The skills you learn in the military are the same skills that employers are looking for. And you would be surprised, but the same skills you learn in the military are the same skills that people need to start their own companies, to be entrepreneurs, to be freelancers. It's just amazing the potential that I see being applied from people who are on active duty and using that same persistence, resilience, starting their own career, figuring out what they want to do and figuring out how to do it, especially if it's something you can do over the internet and have a location independent lifestyle, it all works out. So don't gut it out for 20. When the fun stops and you're no longer challenged and fulfilled, go to the reserves and the guard or think about becoming a total civilian. Mm-hmm. Hey, Doug, I had a, a question going back on the talking about the TSP. The matching, when, did the matching just start recently? Um, right. right. The, the blended retirement system just went into effect on 1 January 2018. 
And so if you signed up, you had to contribute on your own. You had to contribute at least 5% to your thrift savings plan to get the full matching. Now, the table in the blended retirement system training makes it look a little more complicated than it really is. But the reality is that when you sign up for the blended retirement system, right away, the Department of Defense gives you 1% contribution to your thrift savings plan. And by default, it goes into the L2050 fund, the longest dated lifestyle retirement fund. And then if you're contributing 5% of your own money to the thrift savings plan, then the Department of Defense will match up to that 5%. In other words, they'll kick in another 4% to make the total match a grand total of 5% from the Department of Defense for every 5% you put in. That's their limit is 5%. And if you've just joined the military in 2018, you don't have any options on the blended retirement system. You're automatically signed up for it. If you switch over and opt in from the legacy high three system, you had to do that with less than 12 years of service or less than 4,320 points in the reserve regard that that 4,320 is 12 years. And the idea now is that you're getting that 5% matching in your thrift savings plan from DOD. Uh, you're contributing to either your Roth TSP or your traditional TSP but the Department of Defense matching contribution is just like a, a regular 401k. It has to go into the traditional TSP. That's federal law for 401ks. But it's your money, and when you leave the military, you can take it with you. Right. And, and the 40% uh, pension that you mentioned, that was just for those people that are opting into that blended retirement, right? The, uh, someone who's right. not eligible for the blended, anyone who comes in new, there is no pension system. It's just the matching. Is that correct? Well, not even that. If you're under the legacy high three system and you had you know, more than 12 years of service or you decide you're not going to opt in no matter what, if you stick with the legacy high three system, then you have to go to 20 years to get a 50% pension, but you do not get any matching. There's no matching. The only no. matching is for people in the blended retirement system. Yeah, I, you know, I personally, I thought that would have been pretty nice too, but uh, no. Mm -hmm. If you stick with uh, the high three, you get no matching. And the whole point of the Department of Defense is that there's, there's a few people out there in the military who are a little concerned about the conspiracy theory behind cutting the pension from 50% to 40%. And there's some concern that over the next 10 or 20 years that the whole pension could go away altogether. But the reality is that the Department of Defense has to do what's called accrual accounting for pensions. They have to put money aside today for the people who they think are likely to retire 20 years from now. And it has to be put into intragovernmental treasuries. It's, it's essentially like social security. And when the Department of Defense has to set aside that money now for the people they think are likely projected to retire in 20 years, they end up putting away a tremendous sum of money. It's literally hundreds of billions of dollars. And so by being able to change the pension from 50% to 40%, I've seen estimates that Department of Defense will save as much as $20 billion per year by not having to pay out a 50% pension anymore. And in exchange, they're sharing about 10 to $15 billion of that savings with service members in the form of the matching contributions of the thrift savings plan. So we all get matching contributions in the thrift savings plan, which I think is a much better deal than trying to cliff vest at 20 years in the old high three system. And having that money in the thrift savings plan to invest on your own and compound on your own, you're gonna make more money there. And in the other side of that is Department of Defense saves a little bit of money also, and they don't have to put as much money away for pensions in those ridiculously safe and incredibly low interest-bearing intragovernmental treasuries. That's the accountant's version for people who enjoy that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting when you, know, you, you talked about, I think back to my own experience, um, uh, you know, I, I was loving my time in the Marine Corps, um, and I, I wish I had the uh, opportunity to have matching <laughs> uh, TSP contributions uh -huh. that didn't exist back then. But, uh, you know, I reached that point, like you talked about, where I had um, uh, missed the son's birth, deployed a couple times at two young kids, and at the 11-year mark, uh, decided to transition. I don't think I would have been able to do it had I not been, luckily, I married a frugal uh, woman, and we, we kind of were saving along the way. So I had the comfort, some financial independence to feel okay about making that decision and walking away. Um, I ended up not doing the reserve. So basically walking away from that 11 years of active duty and starting a new career. Um, so the people that are coming in now, if they invest early and, and take advantage of that match, um, they will have much more flexibility built in than, uh, than years past. Oh yeah, and and it encourages you to save. And frankly, if you're saving a high savings rate, if you reach a savings rate of forty percent of your gross income, this is not easy, but it is achievable. If you have a high savings rate while you're in the military, you can achieve financial independence even without the pension. It doesn't matter whether you're under blended retirement system or high three. If you maintain a forty percent savings rate for most of that twenty years, you will reach financial independence without having a military pension at all. Yeah, unbelievable. So. Yeah. I I think next question, um, I, I know talking to you earlier, uh, you, your daughter and son-in-law are both currently serving in active duty. Um, and as a financial, you know, someone who, who's done, spent a lot of time in the financial space, what advice did you give to your daughter as she was starting her service uh, in regards to this whole um, beginning your service in the military, but setting yourself up financially? Well, we'll, we'll start back in high school. My, my spouse and I are both graduates of the Naval Academy from the 1980s, and uh, we were shocked when our teenage daughter had a visit to the Naval Academy and decided that the college search had ended right there and she was going to go Navy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, uh, uh, to be fair, in her defense, they have a recruiting video over there that I saw when I was you know in my 50s, and I still wanted to sign up all over again after watching that video. I should know better. But we uh, spent some time educating her on her choices, and she eventually decided to go Navy ROTC at another college, a good engineering school, and she's got a good engineering degree, and she starts looking at her options for the military, for the Navy's different warfare communities. And we've had the same dinner table conversations that I put on the blog. I told her, you know, find something that's challenging and fulfilling and take it one service obligation at a time. And she was looking at retention programs in the Navy where if you did you know, five years of active duty and you wanted to stick around longer past your initial obligation, then the Navy would start paying you tremendous sums of money for bonus contracts for three or four or five years of signing up for a department head job and sticking around. It's a lot like uh, the aviation retention bonus and the other services. And it's like any, any special skill you've got in any branch of the military, somebody's going to eventually say, hey, we want to boost retention. So we'll throw a, a big sum of money your way to sign up for a longer obligation. And I told her to take it one obligation at a time and explain to her all the issues. And, you know, she's had to live with me her whole life and she's been reading my blog for most of that time. So she knows where to find the information anytime she wants instead of having to listen to one of dad's sermons on financial independence. And she's all about it. She uh, was nine and a half years old when my wife and I reached financial independence and stopped working for paychecks. And she keenly appreciates the benefits of having a high savings rate. And so she's quite happy with what she's done in active duty. Um, she and her spouse are both active duty lieutenants. Well, next week they'll get promoted to 03 and they'll be lieutenants and everything's good. Uh, her obligation ends a year from now and she's looking at that retention decision and uh, she's 
thinking hard about it, and uh, she's decided the Navy Reserve looks like a mighty fine option. Uh, my son-in-law, uh, another good guy, another great naval officer, is looking at sticking around for one more tour. He's been offered some things in his specialty that are very attractive. And if I was in his shoes, I'd do exactly what he's doing. He's thinking of sticking around for another few years. But they all understand one obligation at a time, challenging and fulfilling. And they know what to do when the fun stops. And they know how good it can be when they stop working if they've reached financial independence. Great. Yeah, so Doug, switching gears a little bit, um, I was yep. reading through your book in preparation for this discussion today, and in the book, you tell veterans to decide if they want an occupation, bridge career, or an avocation. Can you explain how you define each of those? Well, when you join the military and you get your, your specialty assignment and you're in your community, it's a little difficult to understand the civilian vocabulary. And so that part of the book, we're just trying to come up with words to help people understand what they're looking for when they leave active duty. And so occupations are just jobs. You know, it's any mic job. Uh, it could be working behind a counter at McDonald's. It could be uh, mowing grass on a golf course, or it could be starting a career in the financial industry with some large bank or investing company. And then a bridge career is just what you do between the military and the time that you decide to stop working. You may decide to work for the rest of your life. We'll get to that in a second. You may decide to work until your 60s for that traditional retirement age that grandma and grandpa used of 65, or you might decide that your bridge career is just going to last as long as it takes for you to get to financial independence. And it's totally up to you. You're going to leave the military. Uh, if you do less than 20 years in the military, you might be close to financial independence, but you might not be there yet. And, and frankly, everybody that serves in the military has a, a feeling of duty and a, and a calling and a desire to help people, take care of people, serve the country, you're probably going to want to see what you can do once you get out of active duty and see if you could start a civilian corporate career or start your own business. And you probably want to see what you can do in a bridge career. So you might not even be about the money at that point. You might just want to figure out what kind of occupation or what kind of career you could start over after you leave the military. So that's the bridge career. That's what gets you to financial independence. And the avocation, that, that's what you do. That's who you are. You, you can't stop. And for me, it's writing. I, I, I can't stop. I mean, there's a writer's camp where they ask the question, uh, are you a writer? And the answer is, if you have to ask the question, you're probably not a writer. And if you didn't ask the question, it never would have occurred to you anyway. You're just going to write. And it's also like other occupations, like a lawyer or a doctor or a university professor, a financial analyst. It's stuff that you can do as long as, as your body and your brain holds out. You're going to do it. And you might find that you enjoy it tremendously. You might want to do it for the rest of your life. And again, if you've reached financial independence earlier in life, then that gives you the rest of the life to do the things you want. You don't have to be about the money. You can do things strictly for the challenge and the fulfillment the same way that it was when you just started out on active duty. And in my case, I've learned that I really enjoy writing. My wife and I really enjoy slow travel, you know, taking a couple of months to travel someplace and really get to know the area. And of course, surfing. But, you know, if you have to ask whether you're a surfer, well, you're not a surfer. <laughs> And you're located in Hawaii now, so I'm sure you do plenty of surfing out there. Because surfing, that's right. I go out two, three yeah. times a week. But by the time we got to Hawaii, Marge and I had lived all over the world, you know, courtesy of the Navy. And uh, we recognized this was a pretty good deal when we got here. And that's why we made sure that we were here when we retired. Uh, we spent 29 years in the islands, and uh, this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my life. And I'll be paddling out until I can't remember how to paddle back in. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Very cool. So also in the book, you talk about some of the financial myths of retirement. And um, we don't have to go through all of them. I, it really just depends on how much detail you want to go into. But I have written down the six of them. Um, so how would you like to do it? Do you want to just go through a few of the key ones or do you want to talk about each of them just briefly? I'll, I'll go through the big ones. Uh, when you're okay. in the military, you've got reliable income. And if you happen to be one of those lucky one out of six who sticks around for a pension, then you've got an inflation adjusted stream of income for the rest of your life. In, in both cases, you've got a fairly reliable stream of money coming in and you don't have to worry about prolonged unemployment or how you're going to handle inflation for the rest of your life. Or maybe if you've retired and have TRICARE, you're not going to worry about health insurance either. So those things all work themselves out if you retire. And I'm here to tell you that if you leave active duty and go to the reserves or the guard, again, if you do get to that 20 good years and qualify for a reserve or a guard pension, those kick in at age 60. Sometimes they kick in a little earlier if you had a lot of deployment to combat zones. So again, if you get any kind of annuitized income in your life and any kind of uh, inflation adjustment and any kind of subsidized health care, either from the military or from a corporate career, you're golden. You're going to be good for the rest of your life just on the fact that you've got some regular income coming in that doesn't depend on anything that was something that you invested in or depending on some corporate insurance policy. And what I mean is that it might be enough between the military pension and your savings, or maybe it's just your savings and eventually social security. And if you have a reserve or a guard pension at age 60, that's fine because that means that the money you've saved in your working years only has to last you until age 60. And then you have a big stream of income coming in from the reserves of the guard. So the myth is that, oh my gosh, you need to have an incredible amount of money saved for retirement. And today we express that sum in millions of dollars. And later on, it's probably going to rise to 5 million, maybe even $8 million. It seems like an insurmountable challenge. And the answer is no, not really. Uh, if you want to retire on as little as $25,000 of income a year, you can do it with as little as $625,000 in savings. Now, that's fairly lean retirement money. But on the other hand, you'll find things to do with your time. And some of those will generate revenue while you're not working for a paycheck anymore. Another thing that I encountered a lot, another myth of retirement was you'll be so bored and, and along with that is, you know, what are you going to do all day? You can't possibly surf all day or, or anything else all day, and you won't know what to do with yourself. And you'll lose all your friends because they can't come out and play with you. They're working, and you'll just end up all isolated and bored and in the corner crying. <laughs> I'm exaggerating slightly, but you get a lot of pushback from friends when they find out you're thinking about stopping work. And the answer is, you'll figure it out. When we were all kids and we were seven or eight years old and school ended for the summer and we had summer vacation, that was this vast, incredible distance stretching out in front of us with all these hours to fill and we had no trouble figuring out what we wanted to do. We knew that if we sat around and complained about being bored that somebody else would find something for us to do, but we all managed to become responsible for our own entertainment. And it's the same way when you leave the work environment, it's the same way when you reach financial independence, you'll figure out what you wanna do all day. I know that many people worry about it. I understand that. And there's some mind map exercises or some brainstorming you can do to think about the things you used to enjoy when you were younger and had all this free time. But once you've actually reached financial independence and quit the job and a few months go by, all those people who were worried about it, when they went through the process, they came back to me six months later and said, I don't know what I was worried about. This is awesome. I'm not going back to work. 
So it all works out. There's a lot of myths of retirement. I cover a lot of them on the, on the website and in the book, and you'll figure out answers to all of them. And it's great. Don't let a myth keep you from reaching financial independence and quitting your job when you've had enough. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond. So make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.